Welcome to Al Bernstein Unplugged Unboxing. In a 40-year Hall of Fame career, Al has chronicled some of the greatest moments in boxing history. On this podcast, you get to hear him expand on those memories and talk about the current news in the sport of boxing. You also hear Al interview some of the biggest names in the sport. Here's Al Bernstein Unplugged. Hi, everybody, and welcome to the show. Happy that you joined us as we continue what we do each week here, and that is bring you big names in the sport of boxing. Gilberto Ramirez, Zerdo Ramirez, the former 168-pound champion who is now uh, campaigning as a light heavyweight, 29-year-old who is hoping to win the light heavyweight crown uh, in uh, the near future. Uh, he'll be our guest to talk about that uh, as he has now re-entered the sport with a win. Uh, and also, we're going to be answering your questions, as we always do, the questions you send me uh, at Al Bernstein on Twitter. And to help me do that, my good friend and co-host, Trip Mitchell. Trip, how you doing? I'm doing great, Al. And uh, as you, you're about to get very busy, and one of the fighters in the sport of boxing, Canelo Alvarez, is going to be very busy this year. Three, potentially three fights, and he's going to make some people very happy, his opponents. That's for sure. He has one fight already coming up, uh, scheduled, and and then, you know, there's talk of him fighting in May. That could be against uh, Billy Joe Saunders. Uh, they're pretty close to maybe finalizing that deal. And then in September, who knows? And many in the Canelo sweepstakes, uh, including the gentleman that we're going to be, that I interviewed uh, for this show, uh, Gilberto Ramirez, uh, who would like a shot at, uh, at fighting him. Uh, you know, that he Canelo is the cash cow of boxing now. There's no question about that. His fights demand uh, the kind of attention uh, that makes for big paydays for uh, opponents, and everybody wants to fight Canelo. What is his uh, situation TV-wise? He came to a – who is he going to be with? Is, is anyone have an advantage on that? Well, this fight will be with the zone, the one coming up. And I think he's working this on an ad hoc basis. So uh, not not only are fighters interested in courting him, but pl uh, platforms, TV platforms, and uh, in the case of the zone, uh, internet platforms, uh, will be courting him as well as he continues. Uh, he's one of those fighters, I think, that can demand that kind of attention and be more independent uh, when it comes to everything. Well, that great uh, three fights this year. The sport loves it. Let's get to the questions. The first one up, Darren O'Hare, and he has a great question. Who would you say is the greatest light heavyweight of all time? Interesting question. And, of course, I am loath to make specific uh, uh, comments about who is the single one of anything. I'm not a big list maker to begin with. Uh, because I think it's really tough to do. However, I'll, I'll handle, I'll tackle this question, and what the way I'll handle it is by kind of putting out there the four people that I think would be in the running for this. Uh, and the light heavyweight division has been a, a storied one over the years and had periods where it was the deepest in the sport of boxing. The first man I'll mention, the great Archie Moore. Uh, you know, he... Uh, is thought of always as one of the top five greatest fighters of all time, uh, pound for pound by many people, and certainly is thought of potentially as the greatest light heavyweight of all time. And, you know, he, his, when he fought, things were different. You know, he, 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 he had a record of 186, 
23 and 10 <laughs> and, and 132 knockout wins. So that's extraordinary. That would never happen again in the modern era. He didn't get a chance to fight for the world title until he was 36 years of age. And he held the title for 10 years. So he held the title until he was 46 years old. That was in 1960 when he relinquished the title and um, was an extraordinary man as well as being a great fighter. I, I got to know uh, him in his later years, uh, and it was an honor. And he was, he was an interesting, eccentric, but very, very intelligent and self-educated man. His son, Billy Moore, who is a good friend of mine, who has continued the, the charitable work of the Anybody Can Foundation that uh, R.G. Moore started in San Diego. I have done work with the Anybody Can Foundation and uh, have tried to help them whenever I can. And it's a, it, it's a wonderful organization that helps young people through boxing and helps them with their academics as well. Uh, so Archie Moore would be, of course, one of those men. Then next on the list, we have Bob Foster, uh, the sheriff from Albuquerque. He was a deputy sheriff uh, from Albuquerque, New Mexico. And he held the title from 1968 to 1974. And he had a total of 14 title defenses, uh, which is more than extraordinary. And he was a tall, rangy fighter who had amazing power in his left hook. It was a lethal weapon, and no light heavyweight could stand up to it. Now, he tried to win the heavyweight title, as did Archie Moore, who fought Rocky Marciano and gave Rocky a, a good battle uh, before succumbing. Uh, Bob Foster fought both Joe Frazier and Muhammad Ali trying to win titles. Could not do it. Um, didn't win a heavyweight title, but that does not in any way diminish him as a light heavyweight. He was an extraordinary light heavyweight and uh, certainly uh, belonging in this top group that you might consider the greatest of all time. The next gentleman I'll put in there is Michael Spinks, who, uh, of course, won the gold medal in 1976, then went on to win the light heavyweight title in 1981 and held it for four years defending that title 10 times in an era when the light heavyweight division was stacked. Uh, you know, he won his title from Eddie Mustafa Muhammad, who, of course, is one of the great light heavyweights. Uh, his fight with uh, Michael Spinks' fight with Dwight Muhammad Kawi for a unified title is thought of as one of the most important light heavyweight matches in for decades. And he just was so consistent and so excellent at the light heavyweight division. And unlike the two gentlemen I mentioned before, he was able to win the heavyweight crown uh, and beat Larry Holmes for that title. So Michael Spinks, who was a tremendous ring technician, uh, you know, sometimes people remember Michael Spinks for his loss to Mike Tyson, which was, you know, uh, not his uh, great moment to be sure, uh, but, <laughs> Uh, that is such a footnote in history, in my opinion, to what Michael Spinks did and much of it, uh, especially in the light heavyweight division. Finally, the last man I'll throw into this group is Roy Jones Jr., who held the light heavyweight title from 1996 to 2002. And he had 10 title defenses. He'd come up from the middleweight division, of course, where he had been middleweight champion and made a brief stop at 168, but then was on to 175 and uh with those 10 title defenses, he dominated that division. And he did it with his athleticism 
So probably the most athletic of the men I've mentioned here of all four of these champions. And that athleticism served him well. Later in his career, when he had losses to Antonio Tarver and Glenn Johnson, his athleticism had started to fade. And I believe that while Roy Jones Jr. was a spectacular fighter, I'm not sure technically, in terms of being a ring technician, he was uh, at the best. And so once his athleticism started to fade, uh, he, he got into some trouble in terms of his career. He do, by the way, was able to win a, vo uh, a version of the heavyweight title, beating John Ruiz in what was an extraordinary um, accomplishment. So uh, those are the men that I would put right up there as the top of the light heavyweight division. You could, you could pick whoever you want from among that group. Uh, probably if somebody made me make a prediction, it would be Archie Moore or a, a pick. It would be Archie Moore, but uh, you can make a case for those other gentlemen as well. And Roy Jones Jr., just a tremendous athlete. He, uh, when later in his career, played in a minor league pro basketball game in the morning and had a fight at night, and not too many guys can say that. Yeah, that was pretty extraordinary. Although, if you'll recall, I uh, did a fight in which Buck Smith played a wiffle ball game with all of us the day of his fight and fought. So I'm saying, I'm not, you know, I'm saying that was pretty close in terms of athletic prowess. Okay. You got me on that one. I, that didn't make it into the record book. No. Yeah, on a personal level, when you get an opportunity to go out and emcee an event or do something for a fighter or his foundation, does that mean a lot to you? Yeah, I do love it. And uh, the Anybody Can Foundation that I mentioned with Billy Moore and uh, that Archie Moore started, is a wonderful group. And I did, in fact, MC there uh, a few years ago, their, um, uh, their main dinner. And I've paid a number of visits there uh, to do work with them uh, and their foundation. So um, you do feel really good when you can, uh, especially when you know it's a really good charity like that one, and you know that uh, they're doing good work. Yeah, fantastic. Our next question coming from uh, Andy St. Helens. Hey, Al, was the Kansagi fight under underrated or was it Lacey overrated? I tried that without my glasses, yeah. and I will never do this again. All right. <laughs> well, that one has to do with Joe Calzaghe and uh, Jeff Lacey, and I think the, the, the issue was, was Calzaghe underrated or was Lacey overrated for that fight. They fought uh, some years ago when Joe Calzaghe was the 168-pound champion, and Jeff Lacey had a version of the 168-pound champion. And it was uh, held uh, across the pond in Manchester. And uh, it was a fight in which Joe Calzaghe was viewed with certain, I think, some cynicism in the United States because he had made many, many defenses but had never... Uh, come to the United States to defend his title, and and uh, we kind of view those things jingoistically, and so somehow we, the uh, uh, he was viewed suspiciously, uh, even though he was a terrific fighter. I announced that fight, of course, uh, it was on Showtime, and I have to say that I thought Joe Calzaghe deserved to be the favorite in the fight, uh, even though almost every. Um, news organization or writer, especially from the United States, was picking Lacey to win. Now, Jeff Lacey was a very good fighter, but my feeling was he wasn't quite as good as he was being cracked up to be. And so in terms of the question, 
you know, Joe, Joe Kazagi, by the way, went on to win a lopsided decision win, one of the most lopsided decision wins you will ever see in a 12-round fight. He just punished Jeff Lacey, uh, and it was an extraordinary performance. And it's a little bit of both, in my opinion. Yes, Jeff Lacey was probably uh, a little bit overrated, uh, though he was a good fighter, maybe not on the level people had thought of him on. And certainly Joe Calzaghe was underrated by, uh, by the press. Uh, and even now, you know, I, somebody came on Twitter uh, when this question was asked, and they were jumping in saying that he didn't even think Joe Calzaghe should be in the Hall of Fame, uh, that, he, you know, he didn't fight anybody, he didn't fight outside of England. Well, you know, Joe Calzaghe beat Mikel Kessler when Kessler was in his prime, beat Lacey, beat, beat uh, Chris Eubank when he, when he was coming up to and getting the title, uh, beat a bunch of other very good 168-pounders, then would beat Roy Jones and Bernard Hopkins. Now, this was when they were in their later years, but well before those guys retired, and they both had big wins after they lost to Calzaghe. So, uh, you know, he, 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 he got his share of big wins, in my opinion, and Joe Calzaghe not only belongs in the Hall of Fame, I think he and our good friend Andre Ward, in my opinion, define the 168 pound division in boxing. So, uh, I, I would say, uh, in that particular instance, a little bit of both of overrating Lacey and underrating Calzaghe. Well, one of the, uh, the people in the 168 pound division that I think people understood was very good and uh, was neither under or overrated was, uh, Gilberto Ramirez, Zerto Ramirez, who after a, uh, a, a contract dispute with top rank boxing uh, had a period away from the sport, then exacerbated by the pandemic as well, uh, but came back uh, this past year uh, to perform in the light heavyweight division and, in fact, uh, won and promoted the fight that he had. He is now a promoter, very serious about it, and uh, he decided when you know, his promotional contract ended. He said, well, maybe I'll just do this myself and see if I can guide my career. And that's exactly what he's doing. And we had a chance to chat with him. And here it is. So you uh, had a great run at um, 168 pounds. And before we talk about the current things you're up to and uh, boxing uh, that you're involved in now, let's go back and revisit that great run that you had as a 168-pound champion. You were the WBO champ, and you defended it five times. Uh, how was that run for you? And I'm guessing that becoming a world champion was pretty gratifying. It was great. It was great for me because I did uh, five title defense. And all of them was success, and I'm 41 and zero, and 27 knockout. I'm so glad that, that what I'm doing in boxing, and what I'm doing in my career, and now time to move up, time to get another title fight, another title, another title, and it's so I'm I'm so glad. I'm feel grateful. Great. Well, you are now, um, you just fought in December. You've moved up to the light heavyweight division, of course, and you beat Alfonso uh, Lopez. You knocked him out. And how did it feel coming back? It was your first fight after about a year and a half layoff. 
How did it feel, and uh, what did you take away from that fight? Well, the beginning is, I feel like uh, it was a little, try, you know, it was a little rush for me, and like the first two, three rounds, and then uh, I start taking my time, taking back in in rhythm, and at, at the ten round, I feel great. I knock him out, and. I feel great. I feel great in that fight. So you 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 didn't feel too much at the beginning. You felt a little ring rust, but but in general, it was a performance you were happy with. Yes, it was great for me. I think one to ten, I give a nine. nine oh, that's a pretty good grade. <laughs> yeah. right, that's not a bad, that's not a bad grade. Now <laughs> you that was your uh, will it. Talk about that a little bit more in a second or two, but that was your first fight as your promoter. You you left Top Rank a little while ago, and uh, you promoted yourself. And this was your first fight where you were the promoter as well as the fighter. How did that feel, and what kind of pressure did that put on you? Well, I felt like... Uh, I felt great that in that moment because I make my own show. Um, I did uh, my my fight, and being a promoter is like interesting because it's a lot of fun. You you enjoy, I enjoy to be a promoter, enjoy to helping some fighter, helping people, and now I have show February 19 in here in Mazatlan. I'm making my show for small. It's a small show for small for for the fighter that I developed his career and and it's great for me. And and now I'm doing everything for myself. Like like I'm doing the permits, I do the venue, and it's a lot of fun. So that's interesting. So you have I know you have ten fighters signed, young fighters. So you're you're already starting to promote fights that you aren't even a part of that you aren't performing in. Uh, so you're, you're pretty committed to this idea of promoting, aren't you? Yes. Yes. Is it something you always thought you'd be interested in or just re once you didn't have a promoter and you had to do it yourself, was that when it occurred to you or did you think before you were going to do that? Well, the beginning was like, I was thinking to be in, in boxing for a long time but i know as a fighter i don't i cannot be like for i cannot be fighting all the time and right. but i was thinking like oh i want to be in boxing i want to do something else and i was thinking like oh, oh i want i i had to do i i can do it like promotion or as a trainer i was thinking like and then one day uh one friend of mine told me hey well, let's start doing pseudo promotion. And I was like, okay, how that works. And then everything was, in, it, it was funny because everything started putting in right place. And and now I become a promoter and <laughs> and as a fighter too. And it's a lot of fun, like I say. And, and I just like grateful to having those kids to develop his career and and talking with different people. I met a lot of people now and are doing business too. And it's, it's great. That's interesting. So you, you seem like, you know, rather than feeling the pressure of it, 
you feel like it's, it seems like it sounds like it's just kind of a new adventure for you. Yeah, it is. It's not like a new journey for me. That's great. Um, now, you, of course, as you continue your career as a boxer now, you're in the light heavyweight division. And you said you, after you beat Lopez, you would want a title shot as soon as you can get it. Of course, uh, one of the people that you're kind of targeting, and he has the WBA title, is Dimitri Bivol. Uh, is he one, the fighter you kind of are keying into the most to try and get a title shot? Yes, I want to make that fight happen. I want to fight Bivol. I want to uh, get a title fight. Now they offer me uh, Marcus Brown for eliminator for a title shot, and then is everything like uh, everything is put in the right place in the right time and i feel ready for anyone and i want to take those bell and i want to become a champion of the world again and two-time champion and that's my goal um so it's likely then it sounds like your next fight might be against marcus brown who is a former champion does it look like that would be the next one for you as an eliminator yeah, it could be that one. It could be um, uh, um, B-Ball. It could be anyone. And, and then as soon as I can get the, the title, I'm ready for is it. Is it, uh, do you think it's easier to get these title shots because you're your own promoter or is it harder? I think it's, everything is negotiable in life. The only thing is non-negotiable is the dead. <laughs> dead. Yeah. That's the that's the great line. That's the only thing we can't negotiate, right? Yeah, yeah, of course. <laughs> I can work with different promoters now. I can do my own thing. So it sounds like you are finding it liberating to be your own promoter. Yes. Interesting. Um. So. But um. I want to be my own promoter, but like I said, I'm flexible. I'm, I can work with different guys and I can okay. make the fight happen. I, I want to the good fight happen and I want it. I want it. And the people asking for those fights and I want to give it to the, the fans, the, the fight that I want, that they want. And, and that's it is I'm a fighter. That's what I do. And then let's do it. Now you you are you've had a couple of fights at light heavyweight. Does this weight feel good to you? Does it feel uh, like that's where your body should be now? Yes, I feel hundred percent sure that that's my weight. I feel like light heavyweight, natural that I am, and and I feel comfortable in this weight. You're 29 years old, and you mentioned you're 41 and oh, You've been a, a very experienced. You started early because you didn't have a long amateur career. You knew you were uh, going to fixate on becoming a professional champion, but you're only 29. Uh, do you feel like you're right in your prime period, and do you feel like you still have a number of years left in the sport? Yes, I feel, I feel like I'm in my prime, 29. I feel like I have six years still in in. In my prime, after that, I think I can, I can start thinking about the retirement. Well, and then you can be a promoter because you're already promoting. Yes, of course. Now you you are a great offensive fighter. You're very uh, active. 
And the only thing that people would criticize is the fact that you've had some defensive issues. And from time to time, uh, some people have gotten in with uh, with offensive work against you that maybe was difficult to, you know, more difficult for you to deal with. Have you worked on defense? Is that something you guys keep working on? Yeah, we, we try to work in, in something. That's why I give uh, one to ten my my score because always always we have something to work on it. And then um, it's it's true because people they sometimes they they talking good, they talking bad, but most of the time they 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 have they they have, they're right. And I'm listening the good uh, commentators, bad commentators, and I'm trying to work on it the best possible. That's interesting. So you can listen and decide whether you think somebody has a good idea or constructive criticism. Um, so it's it, it, sometimes it's probably good to hear certain things because they may be valuable, huh? Yeah, of course. Yeah. Okay. Um, do you are you confident that you're going to get a world title shot? Do you think this year? Oh yeah, oh yeah. I feel hundred percent confident that I want to get that title. Fight. I want to become uh, champion of the world again this year. I'm confident and I'm ready. I'm just waiting for the, uh, the for the opponent for the moment, and that's. That's my that's my destiny to be to make a uh, to be a legend. Well, you've you've had a terrific career to this point, and uh, congratulations on that, and good luck on your endeavor to to be a world champion again, and also uh, in your new promotional uh, uh, situation. Thank you so much, and appreciate uh, all the support of the people. They give it to me all the time, and. I just want to say, don't miss my fights, and I want to give the best fight. I want to put the great show, best performance, like always, and I'm going to be a legend. Perfect place to end it on. Thank you. Hey, thank you very much for doing the interview. I appreciate it. Uh, see you soon. Good luck. Good luck on your promotions and everything. Thank you. Right, thank take you. Take care. Bye-bye. All right. Bye. So that was our chat with um, Zerdo Ramirez, uh, a fine young man, as you can see, a 29-year-old who still believes that his best days are ahead of him in the sport of boxing. He's an exciting fighter, and uh, we'll see if he can get uh, the world title shot he seeks at 175, uh, or maybe he'll be one of those, be the lucky one in the Canelo sweepstakes and have to come down a couple pounds in weight and, uh, and fight Canelo, which I'm sure he wouldn't mind at all. Uh, we uh, still have uh, an unanswered question uh, that must be answered, and uh, Trip <laughs> has it from uh, that was sent in from uh, one of you. Yeah, the only unquestioned, unanswered question left. Kenny Davidson in, life, uh, in, in the whole world. <laughs> yeah, it's a, it's the end of the dictionary right here. Exactly. Anyway, Kenny Davidson uh, asked, "How do you do it? How do you go about being objective when you're doing the Broner fight coming up?" Ah, very good. Yes. Uh, and by the way, the gentleman that sent that, uh, Kenny Davidson, if that name sounds familiar to some of you, you've uh, probably seen newspaper articles and heard me talk about him because he is uh, a wonderful musician in Las Vegas who has his own show at the Tuscany Hotel and Casino 
which is a place where I often perform. When I'm not doing my own show there, I often co-host with Kenny uh, in his Friday night uh, Kenny Davidson uh, cabaret show, uh, in which uh, he often has guest hosts. And uh, I have been in that role five or six times. And uh, so Kenny also is a big sports fan, obviously. And if you're in Las Vegas and you want to have a wonderful night of music, uh, there is no cover charge. There is no, uh, no drink minimum. Go to the Tuscany Hotel and Casino. And on Friday night, the festivities start around 8.30. And enjoy Kenny and his band. And not only do they have guest hosts, but many of the, the best singers in Las Vegas come in there after their shows are done and sing a tune. And it's unlike anything that you will normally see. Uh, it's spontaneous, it's fantastic, and uh, it, it has provided me with a lot of fun, uh, as I often are one of those singers that go in there, and as I said, I've, I've been privileged to co-host with Kenny. So that's Kenny Davidson, and he asks about the Adrian Broner uh, situation. And Adrian Broner, of course, will be fighting on February 20th uh, against Giovanni Santiago, who is 14-0-1, a Puerto Rican fighter. Uh, uh, and that fight on February 20th will be on Showtime. Hence, I will be announcing it. And uh, for most of you that would likely watch this uh, or listen to this podcast and this show, you would know that Adrian Broner and I had uh, an interesting history uh, with each other. Back in uh, October of 2018, his very last fight, uh, when he was fighting... Uh, Manny Pacquiao, at the press conference, I was called in to ask questions of the fighters, uh, as my colleague Brian Custer often does, but he wasn't around, so I pinch hit for him. And no good deed goes unpunished, I found out, <laughs> because Adrian Brunner was kind of laying in wait for me and, uh, and uh, went after me uh, verbally. Uh, and made it quite plain that he was not uh, a charter member of the Albertstein fan club. And of course, I've done a number of his other fights as well uh, and uh, interacted with him uh, prior to that. But he, um, and if you haven't seen any of it, you feel free to go Google it. And I guarantee you there'll be video all over the place of, uh, of uh, his encounter with me at the press conference. It was, um, uh, it was interesting. And after that, of course, then I had to announce his fight, and uh, I did so. And I have said that after I did it, I have I sought out um, other colleagues in broadcasting and just people I know and other boxing people, and I said, what do you think? you think I was fair to him uh, in calling that fight, given the fact that, you know, he had attacked me uh, just the day before the fight? And was I able to put that out of my mind and call the fight honestly? Uh, to a person, they all said yes, which I was happy about. Uh, and I believe that it is not at all impossible to do that. I have every intention of calling this fight the same way I call every other fight uh, and putting completely out of my mind the, uh, the issue with him. Uh, you know, I... It doesn't mean that Adrian Broner and I have to, uh, you know, go share <laughs> drinks together or, or go clubbing, uh, which I'm sure he'd love to do. Uh, <laughs> actually, in fact, that ironically, when he made his little uh, 
attack on me. That night, I was singing. I was doing my music show at the Tuscany the night before the the, the Pacquiao Broner fight, and uh, I said, you know, listen, let's let bygones be bygones. I'm saving you a seat at the show if you want to come. And... <laughs> he he did not show up. Uh, I'm the, and I, I'm not sure my musical genre is one that he would he would uh, appreciate. But uh, so, uh, you know, I, I'm I'm a big believer that you can put that aside and get the job done. And uh, ultimately, people will be the judge of whether I've done that. But uh, uh, but I don't believe it. it, it you need to uh, you need to sink to a different level when you're just because somebody has a beef with you. Uh, I've been fortunate in my long career to have very few confrontations or difficult moments with boxers. And that was part of probably what made that situation even more uh, dramatic to people because I haven't had that kind of situation uh, before very often. Uh, but, you know, when it comes, you, you deal with it that way. Who uh, Can you think back, uh, looking over the years of your career at least, any big wars between boxing broadcasters and fighters? I, I remember Larry Merchant obviously threatening yeah. to kick <laughs> a certain fighter's butt if he yeah. was 40 years younger. There have been uh, confrontations. The Merchant Mayweather uh, one was a, a big one. Uh, James Tony once knocked the microphone out of Jim Gray's hand after a, an interview. <laughs> he wasn't pleased with Jim uh, at that point. Uh, it didn't rise to the Pete Rose level, but it was. But he wasn't happy with him. Uh, <laughs> Howard Cosell, of course, had his faux uh, controversy with uh, Muhammad Ali, um, and I, who knows whether any of that was was real. And there have been times when broadcasters have. Uh, and and listen, I believe that boxers have a right to speak their mind about what they feel might be deficiencies of people that have done broadcasting about their fights. Why should they have to be silent in their critique? Uh, it's perfectly, you know, acceptable for them to do that. Um, you would hope that they would be uh, understanding that uh, that person is doing a certain job and may require talking about whether they did something as well as they should have in a fight. I also think that it is the responsibility of sportscasters to be fair. And how shall I put this? That doesn't always happen. It's just <laughs> a fact. You know, sometimes, uh, sometimes there's bias. Sometimes there's incompetence that leads to somebody not uh, crediting a fighter appropriately. And so if it happens, people should uh, call it out. Yeah. So, and, and you brought up Jim Gray. He has asked some of the toughest questions of all time. Yeah. And, and I did an interview with him one time, and I think I've told this before, but you had set up an interview with Jim and I just off the top of my head said, what's the toughest question you've ever asked anyone? And he said, without skipping a beat, why did you bite his ear off? Yeah. And then I remembered. Right. Yeah, that would be the hardest one to ask. Yeah, Jim's yeah. a tough interviewer. You know, he's, he's, he asks the hard questions for sure. Uh, yeah, you never, and that's the question you probably never expected to have to ask, right? Did, no. <laughs> why did you bite what's his ear the, off? That, you know, I don't, do you, do you, do you remember being really uncomfortable to ask questions of a fighter in post in post fight interviews? Yeah, I I did on the ESPN Top Rank Boxing Show, which I did for eighteen years, and we pretty much weekly. So I'm a, I did forty some shows a year of that. I did the interviews in the ring, and so I interviewed 
hundreds of fighters right after a fight. And one of the things about interviewing somebody right after a fight is they've just been through battle. Uh, so it's not always their best moment in terms of lucidity and, and overall how they approach things. But I really enjoyed that. And I, and I, I found 99% of those to be really interesting and good conversations. And most of them were not difficult. Most of them were, even if you had to interview a loser sometimes, somebody that lost, uh, for the most part, you know, uh, I think it's how you handle the interview. Um, I think that's an important part of it. Uh, you need to handle it with respect. You need to, if you're going to ask a tough question, you need to do it in a certain way. You need to, to, to be understanding of the person sitting, standing across from you. But I always enjoyed it. I, I, it's one of the things I miss. You know, I, I don't get to do that on the, on the Showtime shows. And so uh, I, I enjoy interviewing boxers here, obviously, on, uh, on our show. And I've done it in other, other venues. But I miss not interviewing fighters right after a fight. It's, it's an interesting endeavor. Um, now, one of the people that uh, uh, we partner with to the uh, carries our show on their channel, and we like to talk about uh, that channel uh, and how excellent it is, is uh, Tommy Ankello and his world-class boxing YouTube channel, which has great videos on it, uh, both instructional and kind of historical, uh, in which you can learn a lot about the sport of boxing. And uh, it's called World-Class Boxing, and it's on YouTube, and uh, Tom does a great job. We're going to have to get him back on here uh, leading up to one of these big fights and get him to do his analysis uh, because he was an excellent guest when we when we had him on here. Uh, now, upcoming uh, trip, we've got some fun guests. Uh, we're going to have Clarissa Shields coming up uh, in a little bit, and Snoop Dogg is going to be on here uh, within the next three or four weeks. Uh, we're waiting for the final uh, the date when we're going to interview him, and so we have a lot of uh, a lot of fun guests to look forward to. Well, it, it will be a nice circle. And you help Snoop out indirectly by uh, getting him a seat on the Tyson Jones fight. And uh, he did a great job. And there might be a future in, in sports broadcasting for Snoop. He's going to be very involved. You're the involved. guy that got him there. Yeah, he's going to be very involved with, uh, with uh, the boxing end of things. And we'll have some announcements to make when we, when we have him on. So he's he, very committed to – he's a huge sports buff, obviously, and a great boxing fan and – when he did the the Tyson uh, uh, um, Jones Roy Jones Roy Jr. Jones Jr. Uh, uh, exhibition, he uh, uh, he provided some fun, lighthearted moments and enjoyed, uh, and everybody enjoyed his uh, presence on that show. So uh, so we'll we'll have a chance to chat with him at length about uh, his love of boxing and the sport, and uh, we may delve into some uh, some of his musical projects as well. Uh, that are upcoming. I don't know if he's interested in doing a duet with me, but you know, I may pitch that. <laughs> I think. Yeah, between the two of you, you guys have sold over thirty million CDs. So right. you know, you guys and are you know a powerhouse. What, you know what it's like? It's kind of like the Hank Aaron, Tommy Aaron uh, collaboration, <laughs> where they hit between them, they hit over seven hundred and some home runs. Um, <laughs> most of them by Hank Aaron. So yes, I think uh, among the records we have sold, uh, Snoop Dogg and I 
he will get the preponderance of those. There's no question. Thanks for bringing that up, Drip, too. I, I appreciate it. My self-esteem was going along pretty well up to that point, and you managed to, you managed to take care of that very well for me. So. Okay. I'm there for you, buddy. Yeah, I appreciate that. Um, anyway, uh, we hope you enjoyed the show, uh, and uh, my thanks to uh, Gilberto Ramirez for joining us. Uh, thanks to Trip, of course, for his fine work. And uh, my thanks to the uh, Let's Do Something production folks for uh, their fine work on the show. In the future, coming up, we're going to have some big announcements about uh, the availability of our show. Not only, of course, the YouTube show uh, and the podcast, but also our TV version, which, as many of you know, goes around the United States and into Canada and the Caribbean on a number of stations. We're going to have some news uh, along the uh, TV end of things uh, in the next couple of weeks. So uh, stay tuned for that. We'll see you next time. <laughs>